0: Amen. Thanks, Mel. Hey, everybody. How we doing? Pretty good. All right. All right. Thanks so much to Eric and the band for leading us uh, in worship. Always just love sitting under his leadership uh, when he gets to lead. It hasn't happened in a while, so it's just fun and enjoyable for me just to sit in the front row and just to worship. And so, uh, again, as Mel said, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill, and I'm glad that we get to gather and to worship and just to hear from God's word today, seeing what it is that he wants To say to us. Uh, And we're going to be continuing on in our study in Luke. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament, chapter 16. And man, as as we've been in Luke the last few weeks in particular, uh, we've just seen some challenging words from Jesus. But I also have loved how we've seen how his words have still been good and how they lead us into life as we've been unpacking uh, what following him looks like and what the way of his kingdom is as he calls us to follow him as his disciples. Uh, Last uh, week, Alan even encouraged us to ask ourselves the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And so we'll continue on with that uh, idea today, looking at what it means to follow Jesus and to be kingdom-minded people kingdom-minded people. So again, you can turn to Luke chapter 16, and uh, as you're doing that, as I was doing study and diving into this text, I couldn't help but think of when I played football in fifth and sixth grade when I was a kid, I had this coach named Coach Kicklighter, Coach Kick is what we called him, and man, the guy always just had weird kind of stories to motivate us at the end of practice. So we'd finish practice, we'd sit for like five or ten minutes, and he would tell us weird stories um, that, that would motivate us, and he would try to inspire us. Uh, some of them were good, some of them were better than others. The one that I always remember so clearly is one about a dung beetle, right, dung beetle. So the story goes, the dung beetle was in the jungle and nobody really respected him. He was just kind of unknown and didn't do anything great. And so the dung beetle said, well, I'm gonna start pushing around balls of, of dung so that I can get strong and everybody will see how great and how strong that I am. And so he did, and so the dung beetle did this. He got strong, and suddenly the entire jungle uh, respected him and renowned him for his great feats of strength. And so, you be like the dung beetle, my co- coach Kick would say, and work hard at what you do, and you will achieve your dreams, and you will achieve everything that you want to accomplish. So, weird, interesting stories that coach Kick would tell us, but always a great illustrative vehicle for remembering the application. And church, this is kind of what's going on today. Kind of what's going on when we look at Luke 16. Jesus tells this kind of odd story in order to make a point so that we, we remember and we internalize the application. So strange a story, in fact, that in the third century, the Roman Emperor Julian actually rejected Christianity in favor of paganism because of this text. He said that this story seemed, seemed tricky and underhanded, and that Jesus seemed to be advocating for dishonesty. So, this is our challenge for today, right? As we seek to apply this text and see how it is that through this story, Jesus is calling us to be his disciples, and he's shaping us in that direction. So before we read our text, and before you begin, you're just interested now, so you start reading on your own. Hold on, folks with me right here. The main idea that I want us to make sure that we grasp for today is this. Here's our main idea. Jesus calls us to be faithful stewards. With our lives and the lives of others, faithful stewards with our lives and the lives of others, and so I believe this is really the high-level application—the place that Jesus is wanting to lead us in today. As we dive into this text, so let me let me pray for us. I'll read it. I'll read it. Then we'll pray, and uh, then we can get to work. So, Luke 16, verse one. He said to the disciples, There once was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, well, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg, I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from my management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, right, the people who owed his master money, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said, okay, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Then the master, the one who just got cheated, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, remember, Jesus speaking here, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thanks for this time. Thanks that we can gather. Thanks for this text that on the surface is just kind of strange. But Holy Spirit, we know that your word does not return void. And so we ask now that you would speak to us and lead us and teach us and help us so that we might serve you faithfully. Amen. Amen. Man, so if you're like me, as you read through this, there's just these burning questions that just come up, right? So just to recap, here's what we see. The story of this dishonest manager who's about to get fired for his poor management. So in an effort to save his own skin, he cheats his master, who then commends him for his cleverness. And then Jesus also seems to commend the dishonest manager for being clever, which is strange. And then he tells us to make friends by means of unrighteous wealth. And then near the end of our text, he tells us to be faithful with unrighteous wealth so that we may gain true riches. And then, oh, by the way, you can't serve God in money. I mean, what's going on, right? What's this all about? So we're gonna dive in. We're gonna move through it together. Uh, And as a church, I think, look at what Jesus is getting at because I do believe that this passage is actually a call to faithfulness and where God has placed each one of us in our respective lives. And specifically a call to be faithful with ourselves, with our own lives, but also with the non-believing people, non-Christians in our lives, and also how we steward well our possessions and our gifts. And so this is going to be reinforced by what Alan preaches on next week as he continues on in Luke 16, but I think with this image, Jesus is really just teeing us up here with this word picture to be able to speak to the issue of faithfulness and stewardship on multiple fronts. So let's jump right in. Pick it up, verse one. So we'll read it again. Verses one and two. So he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager, right? So this is a story that Jesus gives to the disciples. And anytime he tells a story or a parable, uh, it's important, right? There's an image, there's a concept that he wants us to grasp. So we've gotta listen, so we, we focus in on that. So here's this manager. He's not doing a good job. And his boss finds out. So the boss says, hey, I hear you're not doing a good job. You're wasting my money. Pack your bags. You're done. Turn in your accounts. So notice this, all right? This is important to the whole sermon. Right off the bat, we see an example of poor stewardship and think about this notice this in the light of our main idea right this says Jesus calls us to be faithful stewards with our lives and the lives of others so we're called to be good stewards but right here immediately we see an example of bad stewardship so just hang on to that so the boss says you can no longer be my manager right verse 3 so the manager said to himself what am I going to do right my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg, right? So he's saying, just straight up, I'm not strong enough to do physical labor for work, and he's unwilling, he's ashamed to beg others for money. There's no respect in that. So what's he gonna do? Verse four. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Interesting statement, right? So he's, he's got an idea, And it's a clever, tricky idea. And so he's taking steps so that when he loses his job, people will receive him into their houses. Now, in just a second, verse 5, we're going to talk about specifically what the dishonest manager does to achieve this. But for for this verse, for verse 4, here's the big thing that I think Jesus wants us to see in verse 4. The dishonest manager is thinking intentionally about his future dwellings his future situation that is driving his actions right now. He was thinking about his future dwellings and that dictated his actions now. This is huge. Put your finger on it. Mark it down. This is significant as it relates to our understanding this text and applying it in a way that leads to us being faithful and where God has placed us. So he's thinking about future dwellings. Jesus is gonna come back to this in verse nine. So put a placeholder right there. So, Verse five, what does the dishonest manager do? Verse five, so summoning his master's debtors, again, the people who owed his boss money, it's a dangerous game. One by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. He said, sit down, take your bill, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? 100 measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. So what's he he doing? he's lowering what the debtors will owe and have to pay. So it seems like he's maybe helping the debtors at the master's expense, but what he's actually doing is helping himself. One commentator says this. Because of his actions, the dishonest manager anticipates that his actions towards the people whose debts he lowered will obligate them in some way so that it will guarantee his own future. The steward acts not for the benefit of his master, or even the debtors, but purely for his own selfish ends. He's putting the debtors in debt to himself, is what he's doing. He's lowering what they owe so dramatically so that they're gonna kind of owe him in some way. Remember, Jewish culture is, is an honor, shame, um, communal culture. So if you are given a substantial gift or indebted to somebody in any way or somebody helps you, you've kind of got to pay that back or the community would find out. They, would, they wouldn't trust you. They wouldn't respect you. Uh, they would think you're dishonest. So culturally, that's, that's the underlying current here. So the manager's a clever, man. He found out a way to play the system, to protect himself, and to make it so that others, right, the master's, his boss's debtors, will be then indebted to him because of how much he just hooked them up, right? That's what's going on. Verse eight, we're gonna read the first part of verse 8a. So the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness so it's weird right so he, he is commended by the master because of how slick he was now it's assumed that he still got fired because of how badly he cheated his master and because it also emphasizes that he's securing his eternal his future dwellings which would be irrelevant obviously if he didn't get fired he would not need to do that Another commentator says this, that the, ma- the manager's actions were purely, purely selfish and egocentric, 16.4. He was not the least bit concerned for his master. The master's praise was not directed to the, ma- the manager being moral, but to his being shrewd. This implies only that he was wise, crafty as a fox, and prepared himself for his being fired from his managerial position. So I can just kind of imagine how this plays out maybe in the, in the, ma- in the, the master's office where he calls calls him, he's like, okay, hey man, dude, you're on your way out, You cheated me out of all this money, you hooked yourself up in the process, well played, now get out, right? He is commended for acting and for preparing himself for the judgment awaiting him, specifically the judgment of getting fired from his master, his boss. And then in the second half of verse 8, again, Jesus speaking, Jesus says this, he says, for the sons of the, this world, this world, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Another weird statement, more burning questions. So, here, sons of this world essentially means the world and non believers. And sons of light is referring to believers and those who follow Jesus. So, the sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. And Jesus highlights this actually as a problem. This is a problem. Now, notice what Jesus is not saying, right? He's not saying that he wants believers, sons of light, to be shrewd at being wicked, no. But it's still a tough verse to understand, so what do we do, right? As, as responsible Christians engaging in God's word, we take the story in stride with the rest of what scripture says about Jesus. The Bible is to be read as a whole, not just in isolated verses. So when we look at the story in tandem with the rest of what we know about Jesus, of course, Right? We know that, that Jesus was, doesn't want us to do what is evil or dishonest. That's obvious at this point, especially as we've been in Luke studying the way of the kingdom and what Jesus desires for his followers. So what we see here in these verses is that what Jesus desires for us is that believers should be leading the charge in being faithful, thoughtful, and intentional when it comes to securing future dwellings. Jesus is, is urging believers to act as prudently with regard to divine things as unbelievers do with regard to earthly things, if not more so. Don't be dishonest like the manager, but be faithful, thoughtful, and intentional when it comes to securing future dwellings. Be shrewd like him. And we keep using this phrase, right? Securing future dwellings. So what are, what are we talking about there? Verse nine, Jesus is gonna bring some clarity on this term uh, that we keep seeing again and again. So Jesus says this, verse nine, we're gonna camp out here for a while. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into The eternal dwellings. All right, remember, back in the beginning of the sermon, these burning questions that keep just arising when we read this text. So for me, I know when I read this specific verse, I'm like, man, what is is Jesus saying when he's telling us to make friends by means of unrighteous wealth? That sounds bad. It sounds like something that that Christians shouldn't be doing, right? So to understand this verse, I think we need to begin with this term, unrighteous wealth. Um, When we say this, what we're essentially saying is we're talking about the economy of, of the world we're talking about earthly wealth, worldly pursuits, the endeavors of the secular world. They're not necessarily bad, they, they certainly could be, but it's, it's earthly wealth wealth not being used per se for God's kingdom. okay. So if this is what what unrighteous wealth is, it's kind of earthly means, endeavors, man, why would we want to be involved with it on any level? Shouldn't we just as Christians just reject it outright? go live in caves and wait for the Lord to return? Nope. I believe, and I think this is Jesus' point, that just because it is worldly, it doesn't mean that we still can be shrewd and faithful with it. It doesn't mean that we as Christians can't leverage unrighteous wealth for kingdom purposes. This is why I love this verse, because Jesus then tells us to take this unrighteous wealth and to make friends by it to make friends by the world as we live in the world, as we engage in the world, as we are surrounded by it, which is inevitable. We're all here. And I believe that this is what Jesus is getting at when he says to make friends by means of unrighteous wealth. We are to befriend the world, the lost. Talked about this last week. But Nick, aren't we as Christians supposed to reject the world and Go live in caves. Again, we keep saying that. Well, let's just look to the example of Jesus for a second. When we look at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, this is exactly what he did, right? He befriends the world. Now, yes, he calls his disciples to live radically different from the world and to repent of and to flee from sin, but he also pursued the lost, right? I mean, the guy Jesus was hanging out with, we see him with with tax collectors, with criminals, with prostitutes, even people who are just viewed as poor or, or ceremonially unclean, in order to befriend them and show them that eternal life is found only in him. Right? He's going after the sick, not the healthy. Jesus models this for us, as we are called to go after the lost and the broken, and to befriend them with, with gospel motivations and intentions, as Alan talked about last week. We aren't of the world, nope, not at all. We are kingdom people, make no mistake, but we live in this world now, and while we're here, waiting for Jesus' return, hoping in that, we have a purpose. We have a job to do, we are on mission. Right, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Go be faithful and be shrewd for the kingdom. We have such an opportunity here. And as verse nine says, we are to be present in non-believers' lives so that, look at what it says, so that when unrighteous wealth fails them, because it will, right? When people are let down by their unrighteous wealth, when their worldly way of living fails them, when it leaves them dry and wanting, because it will, it always does, man, Christian, be there. Be present, Be there when it fails so that you can point them to truth, to Jesus, the only one who is our hope, right? And and as we do this and as we are faithful in this way, as we are shrewd, a faithful son or daughter of light, people will see our faith. People will see the hope that we have in us, 1 Peter 3.15, and they will turn to Jesus. Many of them will. So we do this, right? We're, We're shrewd and we're faithful and we're in the kingdom and we're befriending the world by means of unrighteous wealth because we love others and we want the joy of receiving one another, end of verse nine, into eternal dwellings, receiving one another into heaven, into God's kingdom. This is what he's saying. The joy of receiving each other into eternal dwellings. Uh, Last month, Julie and I both had covid and um, so you know, we were locked down for a little bit, for a week or so. And obviously, you know, when you're locked down uh, with COVID, the one thing you can do is have a Lord of the Rings marathon, which we did. Obviously, what else we're going to do? So, um, so we finished the last episode, The Return of the King, this past week. Such a cool moment where you know the ring is destroyed. Frodo is faithful in his mission. He's swept up. He's brought back to the to the city of Gondor, placed in the palace. And when he wakes, he finds. Right, all of the other, the rest of the fellowship there, rejoicing with them. They've all been faithful in their mission to do whatever it is they had to do to play their part in the story. And so they've been faithful, and now they're all together in their dwellings, rejoicing, celebrating, laughing. So I couldn't help but, as I was prepping the sermon and watching that, man, just such a beautiful picture of this. They were faithful in their mission, and now they're receiving one another with joy into their dwellings, right? Their home. They've made it. And I think, I think this hits on what Jesus is getting at here, right? As you are faithful in this life and what God has called you to, one of the things that you have to look forward to is receiving each other, right? The people who your lives have touched into eternal dwellings. Such a beautiful glimpse of the fruit of our faithfulness that Jesus gives us. So this is our hope, church, right? We want to see people pass from death to life. So just to really quickly resummarize this verse. As we are living in the world, we are faithful to be shrewd and to leverage unrighteous wealth, aka the world system. We are to make friends by it by befriending the lost so that when it fails, we might point them to Christ so that we might also one day receive one another into eternal dwelling so that we might see the lost saved and with them enter into God's Kingdom, faithful stewards with our lives and the lives of others. So the illustration now finished. Jesus continues on in verse 10. And now we really get to, I think, his closing encouragement uh, that Jesus gives us in the light of our story and just some good practical application. So what I'd, I'd love for us to do now as we look at these last four verses is to notice three steps that I think help lead us into being good and faithful stewards both in our lives and the lives of others. So verse 10. Jesus says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. You know, as I was reading over this verse, praying through it, man, I think, I think the really sobering warning here is the fact that, the path that we are currently on, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, whatever trajectory we are on, it only tends to increase. We don't naturally or easily get off the path that we're on or the trajectory that we've been on or that is right in front of us, right? It says plainly, if you're faithful in little, you're gonna continue to be faithful in much. If you're dishonest in a little, you're gonna continue to be dishonest in much. And so it takes just a lot of intentionality and work to change the path that you're on. So I think the first step that, that just helps us to be faithful stewards is, number one, examining the path that you're on. What is the path that you're on? Right? We've been talking a lot about examining ourselves in light of the kingdom, in light of God's kingdom. Christian, what path are you on? Examine yourself. Where are you going? Where are you headed? What are you doing? Does that align with God's kingdom and what he calls us to? Are you being faithful in this? So, I mean, I'm just thinking through a few examples for myself that are convicting for me, like how did, I, how did I spend my money this past weekend? How did I spend my time this past month? How have you spoken, how have I spoken to my coworkers or your neighbors over the past couple of weeks? How have you spoken to, to someone that you were frustrated with, maybe on the phone or in the grocery line? I mean, these are convicting, like for me. Would people look at my life and notice anything different about me? would other believers look at my life and think man that dude's living on mission as Christians we are called to be examining ourselves this is so much again of what Luke has been calling us to examine yourself don't assume that you're on the right path don't assume that the way of God's kingdom is the path that you are on every believer is called regularly to check themselves look at your heart look at God's word look back at your heart what do you see Allow Christian brothers and sisters to speak into your life. Pursue this. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Dishonest in a little, dishonest in much, right? None of this gets it right apart from Jesus' help, but as we pursue him and together as a body, ask him for clarity, he can illuminate the parts of our hearts that we need to more fully surrender to him. As we strive to be faithful and as we think about eternal dwellings, Examine the path you're on. Step one. Verses 11 and 12. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Second step to being a faithful steward is this. Start being faithful in the small things today, wherever it is that God's placed you. And called you to be faithful. So, just like these verses say, are you being faithful in the small worldly things, remember, right? With unrighteous wealth and with the people that God has placed in your care? You might say, well, Nick, okay, what does that look like? And I would say um, one question you can ask is, where are you gifted? What are you good at? What are you talented at? Gosh, I mean, this area that we live in, people are so uh, the best of the best. So successful. Many of you own businesses and are successful and have incredible skills. And so, we as a church, we want you, Grace Hill, to be asking the question of yourself How can you use your skills and what God has gifted you in to be faithful, to be shrewd for the kingdom, and to be faithful in the small things, the everyday things? Right? Are you a lawyer? How can you use your lawyering skills, if that's even a word, to serve God's kingdom, to advocate for what is true and just? Are you a teacher? How can you be a light for God's kingdom wherever uh, you are teaching, whatever your circumstances are in if you're in a public school or in a private school, right, the landscape is changing. It's getting tough. If you're a stay-at-home mom, how can you use your skills as a mom to encourage other moms and parents and shepherd the next generation of Christ followers? What a privilege that is. Gosh. Two great examples, I can think of this in our church, just two ministry areas that I, I directly lead and take and kind of oversee and help with are um, with our uh, production teams and our setup teams. So I think of uh, Aria and Zach Dizel where they lead our production team and they create um, standard operating procedures and processes that help to keep us uh, organized and structured and get things done, recruiting volunteers. I think of Nathan Leemkyle who leads our setup team where um, not only is he also technically minded, but he's just good at building things and solving problems, and so he's gotten out of, us out of many binds with the trailer and recruiting volunteers. And so, man, these are just two quick, great examples. We have so many others in our church, but those are the two that uh, I work with very closely. Two examples of people just using what they're good at, using their gifts and their skills in the everyday, small, routine, regular places that God has placed them just here in our church in a way that brings God glory and praise and honor, faithful stewards. Are we being faithful in these small, seemingly insignificant areas in our lives? And I promise, Grace that as you begin to do this and you take steps of faith, to be faithful in these small ways that maybe nobody sees, man, the Lord will just expand the ways that he uses you. I've seen it so many times. I'm absolutely convinced that as we are faithful in these areas, in our lives and in others' lives, um, that nobody sees that the Lord honors this and He will give you greater degrees of stewardship over His kingdom. You will see more and more of His power, His glory, His goodness, and His love pass through you to others because He likes to show off. Our God does. So, step two in being faithful stewards is start by being faithful in the small things today. And then, verse 13 says, no servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus really just highlights the conflict here of, of serving him and serving the world. Right? The two are, are naturally opposed to one another. You can't serve God and money, as Jesus hopefully puts specific language to one way this conflict often plays out talking about money and possessions so looking back to our story right? you can't be concerned with eternal dwellings and worldly dwellings eventually one will win out can't have two masters it's impossible as we we even just look back in the word of God in the Bible we see so many times I think of like David I think of even Abraham where they're trying to follow God and they kind of sometimes go back and forth and it just doesn't work right it's a failure can't serve God Two masters, And so when I just think about just a good application for this verse, it isn't just remembering that you can't serve two masters, that's of course true. It's not even just don't live for the world, that's also true. Man, I think, I think with this verse, the best takeaway that we need to, to stick in our pocket, that you've got to fight to remember is this, is that the master that you do serve, Jesus, is overwhelmingly for your joy and for your good that's the only thing that's gonna keep you stayed on him right following after him I think it's Psalm 23 right the good shepherd who leads us into green pastures beside still waters and who protects us with his rod and his staff in the valley of death right because the other master the world the flesh the Satan which we believe are true is actively trying to kill you and to devour you as it says in 1 Peter 5a we believe that we do, but our master, our good shepherd, our Lord, whom we follow, again, is overwhelmingly for our joy and our good, so then, listen to this, so then faithful stewardship and serving now becomes a a joy and a privilege, especially since our master has faithfully already served us in the gospel and what he's done, right, right? I love the end of Psalm 16, one of my favorite Psalms. Verse 11, it says, You make known to me the path that leads to life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Just think about that, right? Do we believe that? Our Master is leading us into life, that in his presence, there is fullness of joy, and that there's literally pleasures in his right hand. It's awesome. So I think step three in becoming a faithful uh, and shrewd steward is remembering that our master Jesus is always seeking our good. We gotta fight to remember this. We gotta encourage one another in this. As we internalize this and we make this our thinking, our regular thinking, I think the appeal of the, appeal of the other master and the world and the flesh and the desires of the flesh, I think they will fade. And as we encourage one another in this and fight and hold on to this truth, man, our church will be a faithful presence that actively seeks to steward our lives for the kingdom and call unbelievers into fellowship with us, right? Into eternal dwellings. Jesus is always seeking after our good. So again, as we wrap up, uh, our three steps to being faithful stewards in our lives are we need to examine ourselves, right? Look at your heart. Allow others to speak into your heart. Look at God's word. What does it say? What's the connection? Where is there a disconnect? What path are you on? Be faithful in the little things. Man, again, as we serve faithfully, Colossians 3.23, right, we, we work as according to the Lord, not for men. Remember that. As we remember that, no matter what we're having to do, as hard as it is and as difficult as it might be, that is so liberating. Gosh, knowing that I'm working for the Lord. And if nobody else sees it, that's okay because he does and he's gonna honor and he's gonna reward and he's gonna bring blessing in his own time and strengthen me to do what he calls me to do. Be faithful in the small things. And then we remember together that our master Jesus is always seeking our good, right? He is our good shepherd leading us, with us, holding us, strengthening us. So church, let's do this together, man. Let's examine ourselves. Let's be faithful in the small things. Let's remember that Jesus is seeking our good. Let's encourage one another in this. Uh, and as we close, I'm gonna invite the band, uh, Eric and the band, to come back up. But as we close, I was reading a devotional with my kids the other night, and the bottom, they had uh, Philippians 2, 15, and 16 written in the CEV, which I'm not super familiar with, the Contemporary English version of the Bible, and I really liked it, I thought it summed up just well, I was just kind of, I just read it as I was prepping, I was like, oh man, that's perfect, perfect summarization, I think, for today's sermon. So uh, it says this, Philippians 2, 15 to 16, in the C-E-V, it says this, it says, try to shine as lights among the people of this world, as you hold firmly to the message of That gives life. Try to shine as lights among the people of this world as you hold firmly to the message that gives life. And so, as the band begins to play, um, what I'd love for us to do now is to take a minute to to do some confession and some reflection, specifically along this idea of just being faithful stewards and what God might have for us. So, I'd love for you to just take a few minutes as the band plays um, to pray. And to ask the Lord, Lord, is there any corners, any pockets of my life where I am failing to be faithful? Right, we ask ourselves these questions. Um, We ask ourselves these types of questions in humility so that we can put ourselves in a posture where God can come in and work and where he can illuminate and bring clarity and reveal to us what he wants to do and how he wants to transform us. So take a minute and confess and ask the Lord, where am I not being faithful? and ask him then to just reveal to you what he might be calling you to do. So uh, take a few minutes to pray that, and then I'll close this out with prayer.